0: Women have played a significant role in our society and culture through time, so let's take a look at the history from the women's side. I'm your host, Brittany, and welcome to Her Story Sessions. When Alfred Nobel passed away in 1896, his will declared that his fortune should be used to constitute a fund to, quote, the interest on which shall be annually distributed in the form of prizes to those who, during the preceding year, shall have conferred the greatest benefit on mankind. This was the beginning of the creation of the Nobel Prize. The Nobel Prize is awarded in the categories, as set out in his will, of physics, chemistry, medicine, physiology, literature, and peace, with the Peace Prize having its own definition of going, quote, to the person who shall have done the most or the best work for fraternity between the nations and the abolition or reduction of standing armies and the formation and spreading of peace congresses. The prize in economic sciences was established later in Alfred Nobel's memory. The first prizes were awarded in 1901 and are awarded annually, although there have been some years when it has not been awarded, most of which were during both world wars. It also was not awarded in specific categories if there had been no work considered to be of the importance indicated in the category. Still, though, since 1901, there have been 930 individuals and 25 unique organizations that have received it. Of those, 57 were women, and 28 of those women received it in the last 20 years. Marie Curie was awarded twice, one of only four individuals to ever receive it more than once, and the only person to receive them in separate sciences. Marie Curie was also the first woman to receive a Nobel Prize, her first one being awarded in 1903 in the physics category. She won her second one in 1911 in chemistry, making her the first person to have won a Nobel twice. Born as Maria Skłodowska in Warsaw in November 7, 1867, she was the youngest daughter of two teachers with family that strongly believed in education. She took after her father, a math and physics instructor. Her mother had operated a prestigious boarding school for girls, but left this position after Marie was born. She died of tuberculosis when Marie was 10. Marie excelled in school, but the University of Warsaw only allowed men to enroll, so she could not formally continue her education in her hometown. However, she did attend what was called the Flying University, or sometimes translated as the Floating University, which were underground, informal classes, held in secret, and admitted women. Then Marie and her sister Bronia made an agreement. For about five years, Marie worked as a tutor and governess, supporting her sister while she went away to Paris to study. Then, when Bronya finished with her studies, she would support Marie during hers. So finally, in 1891, Marie made it to Paris, enrolling at Sorbonne, where she studied physics, earning a master's degree in, in 1893, and mathematics, earning a degree in that in 1894, barely scraping by while she completed these, sometimes living on just buttered bread and tea. While in Paris is also when she became known as Marie rather than Maria. She was introduced by a colleague to Pierre Curie, a professor in the School of Physics, in 1894. She needed a lab to work in after receiving a commission to perform a study on different types of steel and their magnetic properties. He was able to provide some space for her. They developed a relationship and married a year later. She did her early research in poor lab arrangements and under difficult conditions. Marie and Pierre both taught many classes to make ends meet. Marie was then inspired by Henri Beckel's discovery in 1886 of the phenomenon of uranium self-emitting rays that resembled X-ray, which she later coined as radioactivity. She decided to study uranium rays as a thesis. She theorized that the rays came from the element's atomic structure since they were constant, no matter the condition or form of the uranium. The Curies worked together on this, using a mineral called pitchblende, the ore that uranium is extracted from. But the ore's radioactivity was higher than that of the pure uranium, which didn't make sense unless there were other unknown radioactive elements present. Their research on this led to the isolation of the elements polonium, named for Marie's home country of Poland, and of radium. In a converted shed that used to be a dissecting room, Marie developed methods for separation of radium from radioactive residues in a large enough quantity to be named as a unique chemical element and for the study of its properties, therapeutic properties in particular. They were helped by the chemist Henri Becquerel and with the results from all of this research, Marie gained her doctor of science degree in 1903, the first female in France to do so. That same year, Pierre and Marie were awarded the Davy Medal of the Royal Society, and the three of them shared the Nobel Prize for Physics for the discovery of radioactivity. This is what made Marie the first woman ever to receive a Nobel Prize, but originally she was not nominated along with the two men. And Pierre wrote a letter back stating that he had helped with the work, but the ideas were not his and that Marie was the one behind it, and she deserved to be honored too. It's thanks to her husband, who saw her as an equal and a partner in a time that women were not usually viewed this way, that she received her deserved recognition. Marie had had her first daughter, Irene, in 1897 and had her second daughter, Eve, in 1904, but becoming a mother did not slow down her work. In 1900, she had been appointed lecturer in physics at Ecole Normale Supérieure for girls in Savre and while there, introduced a teaching method based on experimental demonstrations. Then in December of 1904, she was appointed chief assistant at the lab that Pierre directed. But then in 1906, Pierre died suddenly in an accident, which was a blow to Marie. She decided to complete the scientific work they had started together. She took his position as head of the physics library at Sorbonne and became the first woman to teach there. She became a titular professor in 1908, and in 1910, her Fundamental treatise on Radioactivity was published. Then, in 1911, she was awarded her second Nobel Prize, this time in chemistry, for the isolation of pure radium. Then, throughout World War I, she devoted herself to developing the use of X-radiography, helped this time by her daughter Irene, who would later win her own Nobel Prize in chemistry in 1935. Marie developed and championed the use of mobile x-ray units on the field. These medical vehicles were nicknamed Little Curies after her. After the war, she used her celebrity status to advance her research, visiting the United States twice to raise funds to buy radium and to establish a radium research institute in Warsaw. In 1921, Mrs. William Brown Melanie, after interviewing Curie, created a Marie Curie Radium Fund and raised money to buy radium, publicizing her trip. Later, President Warren Harding presented her with a gram of radium on behalf of the Women of America. She gave lectures in several countries, was made a member of the International Commission of Intellectual Cooperation by the Council of the League of Nations, saw the development of the Curie Foundation in Paris, and the 1932 inauguration of the Radium Institute in Warsaw, of which her sister Bronia was appointed director. She received many awards and honors for her work throughout her lifetime, although she often refused them. She passed away on July 4, 1934, from aplastic anemia, which is believed to have been caused by long-term exposure to radiation, mostly due to her radio- radiography work with unshielded equipment during World War I. She was originally interred alongside her husband, but in 1995, both were moved to the Paris Pantheon. Because their remains were still radioactive, they were sealed in a lead lining. Her papers also remain highly radioactive and are stored in lead-lined boxes, and anyone wanting to see them is required to wear protective clothing. Not only did Marie do important scientific work, she broke boundary after boundary for women, but remained honest and humble her entire life. Albert Einstein reportedly remarked that she was probably the only person who could not be corrupted by fame. All of the prizes except the Peace Prize are academic in nature, which had its own definition of going, quote, to the person who shall have done the most or the best work for fraternity between the nations and the abolition of reduction of standing armies and the formation and spreading of peace congresses, as I mentioned at the beginning of this episode. This is probably the most known of all of the Nobel awards, but why did Alfred Nobel include this category, which doesn't fit with the others? The answer is in the form of a woman, one that advocated against war and became close friends with Alfred Nobel, who he corresponded with for years on the topic of peace. Her name was Baroness Bertha von Sutner. At one point, Alfred said to her, Inform me, convince me, and then I will do something great for the movement, and many give her the credit for his edition of the Peace Prize. The Baroness's life began very different from from what later became her peaceful anti-military views. She was born Countess Bertha Kinsky in 1843, an only child of a noble military family in Prague, then part of the Austro-Hungarian Empire. Her father was a field marshal that died before she was born, and she was raised by her mother and a guardian that was appointed as part of the Austrian court. She grew up within aristocratic circles and with military traditions, which she accepted without question for the first part of her life. Even growing up in high society, her mother had limited funds, but she did provide Bertha with a governess who taught her French, English, and singing lessons. As a teenager, she actually wanted to be an opera singer, but later turned to academics, reading Plato and the German scientist Alexander von Humboldt by the time she was 16 and teaching herself Italian. At 30, she took a job as a governess to support herself and worked for the baron and baroness von Suttner in their Vienna home. Their 23-year-old son, Arthur, became attracted to her and the two soon fell in love. This did not please Arthur's mother, who sent her away to Paris to instead work as a secretary and housekeeper for Alfred Nobel. She only worked with him for a short time, but then developed a lasting friendship during her employment. She soon returned to Vienna and secretly married Arthur. After they were married, they went to the Caucasus region of Russia, staying as guest employees of their friend Prince Niko, part of the noble Georgian family. Bertha worked as a music teacher and languages tutor, while her husband worked as an architect, both making a meager living despite their social ties. Eventually, her husband began to write for the Austrian newspapers, which turned out to be a success for him and earned a better living. Bertha was inspired to write by him and wrote her first essay using a pseudonym. During this time, she also worked in her early novels, including A Slowos, a romanticized account of her life with Arthur. In 1883, she published her first novel, Inventory of a Soul, in which she takes a pro-disarmament, progressive stance, and the concept that society would achieve progress through peace. The book gained traction in literary circles, and she decided to take on writing as a career. The couple moved back to Austria, where she was now accepted by her in-laws, in May of 1885. In Austria is where she wrote most of her books, including The Machine Age, which was among the first to foretell the results of exaggerated nationalism and armaments and heavily influenced by the International Arbitration and Peace Association in London and similar groups on the continent, which she had just learned about. She was drawn to their cause and thought she could spread their message of peace through writing. She decided to do this through a work of fiction and wrote Lay Down Your Arms, which became her best-known work, having 37 editions and translated into 12 languages. The anti-war themes were seen as controversial at the time, but it exceeded her publisher's expectations and became a bestseller. After this, she became an active leader of the peace movement, attending peace meetings and international congresses, helping to establish peace groups, recruiting members, lecturing, corresponding with people all over the world to promote peace projects, and writing for peace, of course. She initiated the Austrian Peace Society, of which she became president, working with the journalist Alfred Hermann Fried to start the monthly journal named after her book Lay Down Your Arms, and participated in the first Hague Peace Conference, an event that was a major victory for peace activists. It was attended by high-ranking officials from major world countries and gave credibility to the peace efforts that had been dismissed as unrealistic and naive by critics. Bertha was even a featured speaker at the conference. After her husband passed away, she threw herself into her work even more, continuing to write and attend peace conferences and meetings. She went on a speaking tour in the U.S. in 1904, meeting President Theodore Roosevelt and visiting Quaker communities, which she saw as an inspiring example of a life devoted to nonviolence. In 1905, she was awarded the Nobel Peace Prize for her work, the first woman to receive one in the peace category and the second ever to win any of the Nobel Prizes. She saw hope for the world peace in some of the international developments of the time, but also warned anyone that would listen about the dangers of militarizing China and the rapidly developing use of planes that could be used for military purposes. She passed away from stomach cancer in June of 1914, just weeks before the assassination of Archduke Franz Ferdinand, which would lead to the outbreak of World War I. But her work was not in vain. It helped particularly in gaining support for nonviolent ideals among the general public as well as political and intellectual figures and led a number of successes in the struggle for peace, and peace is something we could all use right now. The youngest person ever to win a Nobel Peace Prize was Malala Yousafzai, being awarded the prize in 2014 when she was just 17. She was born in July of 1997 in the Mingora, Pakistan, a place where the births of baby girls weren't exactly celebrated. But her father, who ran a girls' school and was an educational activist, wanted her to have every opportunity a boy would have. But in 2008, when Malala was just 11, the Taliban took control of their village, banning things like owning a TV or playing music, and shut down the girls' school. Malala began to blog for the BBC in early 2009 under the pen name Gul Makai, writing about her life under Taliban rule and how much she wanted to attend school. Her first entry was titled, I Am Afraid, detailing the nightmares she had about full-blown war in her hometown. Soon, tensions between Pakistan and the Taliban e- escalated and her nightmares became real. Her family was forced to leave, but she continued to advocate for her right to attend school. She and her father began to speak out for girls' education in the media over the next few years and campaigned for Pakistanis' girls' access to free education. In 2011, she was nominated for the International Children's Peace Prize and won the Pakistan's National Youth Peace Prize, making her a household name. But this also made her a target for the Taliban. On October 9, 2012, when Malala was just 15 years old, two Taliban members stopped the school bus she was on and asked, Who is Malala? They then shot her on the left side of her head. She fortunately survived, being first airlifted to a Pakistan- Military hospital and then taken to an intensive care unit in England and was in a coma for 10 days. There was no brain damage, but the left side of her face was paralyzed and it took several surgeries and months of re- rehabilitation to repair the damage that was done. Finally, she could live with her family again who had relocated to England. In March of 2013, she began attending school in Birmingham and Even after an assassination attempt on her, she decided to keep fighting, quote, until every girl could go to school. She spoke to the United Nations in New York on her 16th birthday and later that year published her autobiography, I Am Malala: the girl who stood up for education and was shot by the Taliban. She received the Sakharov Prize for Freedom of Thought by the European Parliament for her activism. In 2014, Malala and her father established the Malala Fund to internationally support and advocate for women and girls, funding education projects internationally, partnering with global leaders and local advocates, and pioneering innovative strategies to empower young women. Through this charity, she met Syrian refugees in Jordan, young women students in Kenya, and spoke out in Nigeria against the terrorist group Boko Haram that abducted young girls to stop them from going to school and December of 2014 is when she received her Nobel Peace Prize. She has continued to advocate for women and girls and began attending Oxford University in 2018, studying philosophy, physics, and economics, and graduated last year. She plans to continue advocating for girls' education and equality. Today, there are more than 130 million girls out of school, and she hopes to change that. If you'd like to learn more about her work, I highly suggest visiting malala.org where you may also donate to her cause. There are so many more women that have won the Nobel Prize, and nobelprize.org has a list of all of these women if you want to learn more about them. I will post both of those links I mentioned in the show notes and online. That's all for today, and thank you for attending this Her Story session. You can find me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Her Story Session, and make sure to click follow for more episodes.